Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we help make families the best they can be. We're starting a new series of podcasts we're calling The Parenting Sessions. The series will focus on parenting and raising children and provide practical, real-world advice. I hope you enjoy. I'm David Ahern. Wonderful to have uh, Dr. Rosina McAlpine back with us for another podcast as part of our parenting sessions. Rosina is an author, parenting expert, and CEO of Win Win Parenting. This podcast centers on the teenage brain. Rosina, this sounds like a, a very interesting podcast. The teenage brain, has anyone ever worked it out? <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so. But we are going to come up with lots of you know, support for parents who might be tearing their hair out with their teenagers right now. Yeah, and no, I imagine so. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of parents have uh, said over the journey that teenagers, it can be a very problematic sort of uh, time for their children, whether they be uh, girls or boys. Um, as I said, problematic. Why do you think it's helpful for them to understand the teenage brain? I mean, the parents, for example, and not just pass them off as being, say, recalcitrant at times. Yeah, look, that's a great question because, you know, I, I've heard many parents say to me, my child's gone to the dark side. <laughs> When it comes to those teenage years, yeah. um, I can assure you that they do come back. <laughs> but it is true. Adolescence is a very challenging time. And if we understand brain development, it sheds light on why teens can display that those volatile emotions, why they can't curb those impulses to do all of the wrong things that we don't really want them doing and to make right. those risky choices. But most importantly, it also gives us insights on how parents, teachers, um, you know, carers can protect teenagers from harm. Okay. And um, you talk about harm. What do you mean exactly? Can you expand upon that a bit? Yeah. Look, did you know that the teenage years are the most dangerous period of life? And the leading cause of disability and death as a teenager is their own behaviour. Oh, really? I mean, you, you do hear about it. And unfortunately, you do see some teenagers do silly things on the road uh, at right. times. That's right. And, you know, just simple things like understanding that more than one teenage passenger with a teen driver can significantly increase their risk of an accident and, and a fatality. So we know that, you know, regular or excessive substance abuse before the age of 15 increases the chance of permanent brain damage and addiction in adulthood. And when parents think they've got teenagers at home, like, you know, 12, 13, 14, 18 at home, and they think, oh, look, I can be at work and the kids can be at home. They're old enough. They can be unsupervised. What we know from the research is that those hours of 3 to 6 p.m. when parents are at work and kids are at home are what I call the witching hours, which is when they do, you know, a substance abuse, um, go out and do all the things that we really don't want them to do. So by understanding, you know, teenage brain, what they're up to, we can start to protect them from that harm or harming themselves really. Right. And they just have a sort of a, or some teenagers have an attitude that, uh, nothing will harm me. And I guess that's part of the risk taking, I guess. 
That's exactly right. And and as we get further on into the podcast and learn more about the different parts of the brain, that attitude is part of that because they don't have that foresight. You know, death just seems like so far away for them. You know, I'm young, I'm invincible. Um, So you're absolutely right when you say that. Right, yeah. You can't put a, a wise head on a young brain, I suppose. No. Now, I believe the the major time for brain development is the early years, say up to seven years of age. So what then is happening with the teenage brain? Good question. Now, I'm going to give an example to try and help uh, everyone understand this. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, this concept called neuroplasticity, which sounds really um, scientific, and it is, but what it simply means is that our brains can change throughout our lives. And that's what neuroplasticity means. So actually, it turns out that you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> our brains are continuing to develop right until we take our last breath. So that's, that's just the, the fact of the matter. That's what we now know from science. Now, there are two periods of major brain development, and as you mentioned, that naught to seven or naught to six years, those early years, and then again, there's this major change again in adolescence. Now, what we need to do is to understand, to think about it differently like cosmetic changes versus structural changes. Now, if you think of a house and you just buy a new house and you say, oh, look, I just need to do some cosmetic changes. I need to paint the walls, maybe put in some soft furnishings, you know, change a bit here and there. That's what happens throughout our whole life, little cosmetic changes to the brain. We can learn things, we can unlearn things, you know, those sorts of things. But at naught to 6 and in adolescence, there are major structural changes. So like, you know, taking the roof off and putting on a new one, building an extra room, Uh, demolishing and taking away uh, old things. And that's what's happening in the teenage brain. All this development happens throughout those early years and and into that adolescence. And then when they come to uh, the teenage brain, all of the neural pathways, in other words, all the things that they're not using that they don't need anymore are what's called pruned, which just means there's major structural changes in the way in which the, the brain is actually formed. And that will cause all of these challenges that I've been talking about. That's part yeah. of that difficulty. And I know for myself, I'm a, I'm a mum of a teenage boy and sometimes things will fly out of his mouth <laughs> and then he comes back to me and he says, Mum, I, I don't know what's wrong with my brain. I don't know why I say that. And that's that lack of filter and that yeah. you know, um, impulsiveness. Yeah, and, and that's right. And you see it. Um... With a lot of teenagers, there is that lack of filter. They just say the first thing that comes into their head and they don't sort of think of the ramifications at times. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, Rosina, by the time children are in their mid-teens, they, uh, well, many look like young adults, um, but do they have an adult brain and how smart are they really or how smart do they think they are? Oh, isn't that such a good question? Now... I'm going to give the brain development 101 because this is not actually like if you're a neuroscientist and listening to me, you'd go, oh, that woman has not got that right because I'm not going to give you the detail of the neuroscientist, but I am going to give you enough as a parent, a teacher, uh, someone who works with young children so that you can understand how it basically works. Now, brain development 101 is that our brains develop from the back 
So if you cupped the back of your head with your hand, um, that's where brain development begins. Then it goes through the midbrain into the mid part of the brain. And then finally it goes to the forebrain or the prefrontal cortex. So if you put your hand on your forehead, that's right behind there. So that's where we know that from the back is our autonomic nervous system, the breathing, the fight or flight, the movement, the reflexes, those very primitive things that we need, obviously, to survive in life. That develops very early, which is why our kids can crawl and walk and, you know, do all the things they need to do. The midbrain then starts to continues to develop. And when you've got really little kids, you know how they've got those massive emotions and that's because their emotional center is starting to develop. Um, and this is where we store our, uh, this is where our emotions happen, our memories, our motivation to do things. And it's also our pleasure centers. And we're going to be talking more about that, those feel, those good feelings uh, in yeah. that midbrain. And then finally, the forebrain is the prefrontal cortex. And if you put your hand on your forehead, it's there. And that's for reasoning, planning. And as we talked about earlier, considering the consequences of actions, right? So by yeah. the time children are around 16 years old, their brains are developing from back to front, but their prefrontal cortex is not yet developed. However, if you sit down with a 16-year-old, by the age of around 16, they can reason as well as adults. So, for example, you might say, if you sat down with your teenager and said, do you think it's a good idea to drink and drive? They'll go, oh, of course not. Do you think it's a good idea to, you know, go and shoplift? No, because you could get caught. Do you think it's a good idea if your friends say jump off the cliff into the water to jump off the cliff into the water? And, of course, they'd go, no, of course it's not a good idea. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, always a but, always a but. <laughs> but. But because teenagers are so socially and emotionally immature, even though they say all those things to you, no, I wouldn't do that, no, I wouldn't do that, no, I wouldn't drive fast, no, I wouldn't get into a car with someone who was drinking, what we absolutely know is they do. And that's because their midbrain and that, that prefrontal cortex, that thinking brain, they're socially and emotionally very immature. Okay. Yeah, no, that's true. I'm, I remember driving as a 17 or 18-year-old once and um, making a bad decision and uh, nearly cleaning up everyone in the car, including myself. Uh, no no uh, drugs or alcohol involved, but it was just a, a judgment call. I was young not inexperienced. And uh, yeah, it was a very frightening uh, experience, I tell you. I agree. And I think when we look back on that, we all understand that. But at the time, um, you might have got the adrenaline rush out of it. You might have all laughed, laughed it off. And, and that was it, right? Yeah, well, they were laughing in the back seat after they were screaming. So <laughs> and I think I was just petrified. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just simply, a, a, I was young, it was a bad call. I thought I could judge the distance between my car and the next car going through an intersection, and uh, yeah. I, I didn't. It was just a bad call. We've all done that in our teen years, I can tell you. I can put my hand up for that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, uh, most of us make it through to uh, later in life, but there you go. Now, Rosina, when you say teens are socially and emotionally immature, can you explain this a little more? Yeah, look. During those adolescent years, that midbrain, where I talked about experiencing pleasure and risk-taking, sensation-seeking, all of that is very heightened. 
So there's a heightened desire to experience pleasure. You know what it's like? That first kiss, that taste of alcohol, that, you know, everything tastes better, feels better, you know, is amazing. You know, the dancing, the yeah. people, everything's amazing during those 10 years. And that's because of the way the brain is developing. And the other thing that's really, you may remember it yourself, when you were young, you just had to be part of the crowd. Like you just were so frightened to be excluded. So that push for peer approval, that's why they take extra, you know, risk-taking, sensation-seeking, experiencing pleasure and wanting to be part of the crowd. So, you know, when as parents, you know, you would say to your kids, if that, if your friends jumped off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff as well? The answer is yes, they probably <laughs> would. So be careful what you say. Yeah. Well, well, some people might want to jump off a cliff, but if people like me hate heights, I was never going to jump off a cliff, I can assure you. <laughs> That's good. So there's this heightened desire to experience pleasure, risk-taking, sensation-seeking, peer approval, but an underdeveloped ability to consider the consequences of their actions. Like you said, you know, I thought I could make it through. It was only after you just narrowly made it through that you went, oh, maybe that wasn't the case. Um, or to actually curb their impulses um, and, uh, you know, manage their emotions. So what I need parents to understand is even though you might be looking at a 16, 18, 14-year-old that looks like an adult to you, they're not socially, emotionally, and in terms of maturity, they are not. So what we know from neuroscience is that girls, the prefrontal cortex, that, you know, thinking brain, that, that regulation brain, develops fully developed between the ages of early 20s to mid 20s and as you guessed it for boys it's mid 20s to late 20s so if you think yeah. you've got an adult in front of you it's not going to your child's not going to be able to reason and think and think of consequences and act maturely for girls to that mid to you know early to mid 20s and for boys a bit later that mid to late 20s yeah, and we do know, I mean, girls do mature uh, quicker than boys. I think that's been well known for a long time. Yeah. Now, Rosina, many teens believe they know everything, as we've discussed, and that parents are just trying to curb their fun because, let's face it, parents don't understand. But from everything you've said, teens are more likely to take risks, and it is a dangerous period of life, as we've discussed also. So what can parents do to keep them safe? Is there anything, Are there some tips you can pass on here? Yeah, look, there there are lots of tips and I'm going to share them. But I think the first thing to address is that because of the way that the teenage brain is developing, when they say, I know everything, they actually think they do know everything. This is not them being, you know, ragged or anything like that. And I remember even in my early 20s, I thought I knew the world, you know, I thought I was a woman of the world, you know. <laughs> And then I hit 30 and went, I knew nothing. And then I hit 40 and went, oh, I knew nothing. And now I'm you know, in my 50s and I think, wow, I'm still learning. Yeah. And when they say that, um, we need to have that compassion to understand that that is the level of their understanding of the world right now. Because they think they can reason like an adult, they can start their bodies are shaping and looking like adults. When they say, oh, you just don't understand this, you just want to, curb our fun we do know everything I know what to do mom I know what to do dad you don't have to tell me and they they um really believe that in their hearts however (laughs) I love this analogy 
and I, I tell this to uh, parents of teenagers all the time, if you bear with me, it's an analogy about a toddler, but it, it'll make much more sense in a second. Now, when we've got a toddler in front of us, we teach them the road rules. We go, you know, stop at the curb, look left, look right. Cars are dangerous. You need to only hold my hand when you're crossing the road. We teach all of that, right? We yes. don't then go, okay, well, we've taught you what to do now. No problems, toddler. You'll be fine across the road, right? We know that they are socially, emotionally too young, too immature to be able to take that responsibility. And it's the same thing with our teens. We can tell our teens as much as you want. You can tell them drinking and driving is no good. You can tell them, you know, taking drugs can actually lead to long-term mental health issues. You can tell them having unprotected sex, while it might feel fantastic, could result in life-changing consequences for you. So we can tell them all that, right? And we can't then go, okay, out to the world because they're like a toddler. You've taught them the road rules, but they're not ready for the road. So we're teaching our teenagers the rules of life, but they're not ready for life yet. So we have to walk this kind of little tightrope as a parent to try and let them feel that adolescence, that development that they're making, but also still protect them. So one of the researchers in this area is Lawrence Steinberg. And if you're a parent of a teenager and you want to know a bit more, Um, The book's called Age of Opportunity, Lessons from the New Science of Adolescence. Um, And uh, Professor Steinberg has been studying this forever. That's kind of his real area. And there's lots and lots of other books as well, but I particularly like his work. And he he talks about the fact that we still have to protect them. So first of all, um, the best thing we can do to keep our teens safe is to have a really positive relationship with them. So telling them they're stupid or, you know, wrapping them up in cotton wool and not giving them any responsibility or, you know, we need to, we need to little by little give them the responsibility as we feel they're, they're able to do that, but also we need to uh, protect them, physically protect them. Like, yep. for example, know where your teens are and who they're with <laughs> when it comes to driving. Yes. Don't let them in a car with with three or four kids. Don't do it because we know that the risk of death increases with every one of those kids in there, every single one. So by just having your teenager and one other teen versus your teenager and a whole full car of teens can really save the lives of all of those teens. So that's just one example. So we need to have this good, strong relationship so they can talk with us, feel safe with us, but also still manage you know, manage the situations like between the hours of three and six, what are they up to? Who are they with? When they're getting in a car, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, good point. I mean, you mentioned uh, wrapping your your kids up in cotton wool and you can't really do that, especially once they turn 18 and they're legal. So does that sort of make it a bit harder for parents? Because, you know, teenagers will think that parents are interfering. Oh, absolutely. And and this is where, if you know, if you do, if if you take nothing from this podcast other than uh, build the strongest relationship you can with your child, teach your children values, your family values, what's right, what's wrong, acknowledge your teens when they're right. You know how sometimes they might say something yeah. that you like later go, oh, no, they were right. <laughs> go straight up to them and say, guess what? You were actually right and I'm sorry. I wished I would have listened to you. Mm. Um, the other things you can do is 
if we demonstrate self-control, if we demonstrate emotional regulation, if we talk about the consequences of our actions and how they can change life, then we can be good role models and help our teenagers with self-control, with emotional regulation. That whole idea of, you know, I know you want to fit in and I know you want to be part of the group. And I know it sounds like a real lot of fun to go and do all the things that they're saying, but you know that our family values are tell the truth, are be honest in the world, are don't steal, don't lie, don't hurt other people, be caring, you know. If you can just use those internal compass rather than that external compass when you are, you know, making those decisions. Yeah, no, no, fair enough too. Uh, Can you pass on some tips, Rosina, to parents who may have one or more teenagers in their home at the moment? who are going through a rebellious stage? I mean, not all teenagers rebel badly, but some do, as we know. That's so true. And that's where I was, I think we've come full circle, where I said, where our teens go to the dark side. Um, Look, it is very normal as part of the teenage uh, you know, brain development, process of hormones, growing up, you know, into an adult for that rebellion to happen. And this is where... You know, if you are not at the teen years right now, this is where you really need to begin developing that strong relationship because the stronger that foundation, the stronger you're going to be able to have those conversations. Uh, So it's about patience, definitely patience, loving and understanding, remembering that your child is doing the best they can do. They might be having a hard time, not trying to give you a hard time. And if you can just stop and remember your teen years, how tumultuous they were, how challenging they were, Um, if you are loving and caring um, and give your child a chance to speak with you, that's the key. No matter what's going on for your child's life, if you're not judgmental, angry, punishing them, they can come and talk to you. You'll be able to help them through those years. Yeah, that's a, a good point. And communication is so vital, isn't it? keeping those lines of communication open and not always being seen as a big bad parent uh, and that your child's always wrong, but uh, praising them when they do the right thing and uh, guiding them as much as possible. Absolutely. And giving them the responsibility and the acknowledgement where you can. And, you know, I, I agree with you. Everything that you've said is just right there. In it, but at the heart of it is relationship. When you've got someone who loves and cares for you, doesn't feel like they're trying to discipline, punish, control you, but all they're trying to do is love you and keep you safe, that's a very different relationship. Yeah, no, and we always get back with all these podcasts, it all gets back to love really and uh, it's just so vital in any relationship, you know, between parents, couples, siblings, the whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's at the heart of everything. The, The loving relationship you have with your children can be the thing that keeps them safe and also keeps them with you for life. Yeah, no, absolutely. Rosina, before we get into a bit of a recap, uh, anything else you can add? Yeah, there's one thing we haven't talked about, and that is we've been talking about uh, the teenager the whole time. I also want to talk about the parent of teenagers. It is a very tumultuous time. It can also feel like very lonely that, you know, you're the only parent with a kid that's that's off the rails or, yeah. you know, really yeah. rude or whatever. Um, I think it's really important to have that self-care and also to share that with your children. So, you know, with, with our son, you know, he might just be in a bad mood and he'll speak really disrespectfully and I'll, you know, say, look, I can see you're upset and that's fine. I get it. Everyone gets upset from time to time. But 
Um, I take care of you. I love you. I speak respectfully to you. And so I want you to speak respectfully to me too. I love myself. I care for myself and I'm not going to let you or anybody speak to me this way. And I hope that you would do the same for yourself. So please, when you're ready, come back and let's speak respectfully. That self-care, that honoring of self, and of course, that time away from the teen We've got our son in. We've got our son in um, Scouts. He loves it. He goes away for weekends for you know camping and canoeing, and that gives us that little break. So when they're away, you miss them and think, "Oh yes, I do want my team back." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is important for them to get away, though. I mean, that's part of growing up, isn't it? And uh, building relationships with other young people and all that sort of thing is so important. Yeah, that's so true. And, and you're right. It gives the parents a bit of <laughs> a bit of a break too, and sometimes you need it. You do. Absolutely. We all need to look after our mental and physical well-being so we can be the best parent we can be to those gorgeous teenagers. Yeah, I, I like the way you said gorgeous teenagers. <laughs> well, they are gorgeous. They are gorgeous. They are, and they become even better when they get in their 20s. I know that for experience too. <laughs> exactly. So, Rosina, uh, just recapping some of the, the main points from today's podcast about the teenage brain. Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, I think the most important thing is uh, understanding the teenage brain that really, even though you might have a child in front of you who looks like an adult, they're actually not an adult. So we have to understand that brain development for boys is mid to late 20s. And if you're raising a girl, you're a little luckier because it's early to mid 20s. We know that teens will want to do things with their peers, be with their peers. They're going to want that sensation seeking. So we need to understand that they are growing and developing and a lot's going on in their body, but we also need to protect them. So, you know, being able to know where they are, who they're with, you know, making sure if they're driving, they're not with a bunch of teens in the car. These are just facts. This is facts that we know. Um, and supervising them, not necessarily you supervising them, but knowing where they are between three and six, like are they surfing or are they at somebody's home doing what they shouldn't be doing, that sort of thing, right? And then also we want to make sure that we have that, you know, at the heart of every family is relationship. And if your teenagers feel safe to come and talk to you about anything, um, you're going to be able to talk to them and care for them, nurture positive relationships, but within clear boundaries and limits. So I think, you know, being a good role model, teaching them all the life skills they need, having those open conversations, and then, you know, taking care of yourself as well during those periods and talking to other people who have got those teenagers, having the, you know, the pity party or whatever it is you need to get through it. And of course, some time out. So I think, I think that's, you know, basically the topics that we've talked about today. Beautiful. And you're right. The, the, it's important for parents to talk to other parents too and get uh, tips off them about uh, their teenagers and whatever because we, we, we're all just um, uh, really, we don't know what we're doing. Let's be honest, especially when the first child comes through, we're just uh, roaming around in the dark a lot of the time. So true. And that's why I love you know, understanding neuroscience. I love understanding the research on teenagers because then when we're actually drawing on scientific knowledge but incorporating it into our homes and our families. So that's why I love, you know, with win-win parenting, I talk about the heart and the science of parenting. Yeah, no, it's very, very, very good indeed. 
Now, Rosina, that brings us to the end of this fascinating podcast, but we're coming back uh, for another one soon on healthy eating with children, I think. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, healthy eating, sleep, uh, exercise, hydration. You know, how can we do that when we've got very busy lifestyles? How do we make sure that we raise healthy, happy kids? Yeah, and uh, that's all we want at the end of the day, let's be honest. Yeah. Lovely talking to you again, Rosina. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me.